All right, so the Stanley Cup playoffs are underway. The Rangers playoffs are underway. One game in the books. They have one win down, 15 to go if they're going to uh, erase this 20-year drought without a Stanley Cup championship. And uh, joining me tonight to talk about game one uh, after the Rangers' 4-1 to win over the Flyers at MSG is Brian Monzo from WFAN, the uh, producer of Mike's, Mike's On, Francesa on the Fan, um, and, uh, you know, obviously on WFAN and I'll say Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 since I didn't mention it last time. Monzo, how's it going tonight uh, as you leave MSG after a huge Rangers win? Uh, it's going uh, quite swimmingly. Thank you. Things went <laughs> as expected tonight. Well, last time we talked uh, a few weeks ago, we, we were both hoping that we'd get a Rangers-Flyers series, uh, and then we finally got it here. And now that we saw it, you know, I, I predicted the series – would go Rangers in five games. I think that was an overly optimistic prediction given the uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of other people thought this series would go the distance. Most people picking the Rangers, a few people here and there picking the Flyers. But after tonight's performance, it seems like, you know, I might be right on track here even though it's just one game. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the Rangers came out and played a, a little bit of a sloppy uh, early uh, first period, but there's always uh, jitters in the playoffs. And once they got their legs going, they uh, dominated – uh, most of the players only held the Flyers to 15 shots, two shots in the third period, which is amazing, considering it was Todd going into the third. So much. That shows how much the Flyers wanted it. Yeah, but their inch came out and played a good game, and they got some uh, some important play out of special teams, and uh, Lundqvist didn't have to be great, but he made the saves he uh, was supposed to, and uh, the Rangers find themselves in a early lead in the series. Well, that first goal from the uh, from the Flyers, seven twenty eight into the first period, Andrew McDonald, who just got that ridiculous uh, contract extension from the Flyers, uh, he gets one past Lundqvist. It, it went off a Rangers stick, deflected in, and you know, obviously, it's early in the game. You never really want to trail one nothing, but whenever the Rangers go down one nothing, I sort of get this sense of impending doom over me because of their their inconsistent scoring ability in the past and and especially in the playoffs and you know you just have a bad feeling when they go down one nothing so early in the game but it was good to see them bounce back and bounce back quickly just over three minutes later and that's not really something we've seen a lot from Rangers playoff teams in the past and I think you know that just goes to show how different this team is they don't really have that blue collar mentality they used to have they're more of that finesse team now and I think we saw that tonight. I think that's a good point. I think they're actually a little bit of both. I think they still are blue-collar, and I think they are finesse. It's somewhere in the middle. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I don't – this entire season, with the exception of the first few games when they were losing games like 8 nothing, I never really felt when they were going down a goal or two goals they were out of it because at any moment they could score a few goals. And even though they went down one nothing, I, I never once thought they were out of this game or they were going to lose the game or – you know, it was just one of you know the Rangers play a pretty consistent game as long as you know as long as they do the things they're working on and kind of uh, all put their uh, A games together. You know, there's no reason why they couldn't make a comeback and win the game, and that's exactly what they did. You know, I think they did anything great tonight. I mean, the power play was solid. You know, they got two goals in the third, but you know, they were just good enough to win. And uh, that's you, you want you want to you you don't want to lose games. You don't want to go down on a one. So uh, you know it's, it's a good first win, and then I got to move on to game two. You did make a good point there. I guess I, I sort of misspoke when I said that they're not blue collar because. Up front, uh, you know, their forward lines have more finesse, more scoring ability than they have in the past, especially that first line now, which we'll get to. But they are still blue-collar on defense. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, I thought about this later on in the game, you know, as they went up 3-1 to one and then 4-1, to one, it looked like the game was in hand.
And it just goes to show, you know, I've been as much of a critic of Glenn Sather as anyone could ever be. And, you know, his Rangers tenure now 14 years in and, and the job he's done, um, both good at times and awful at other times. But, you know, he's sort of turned this roster over now to the point where a couple years ago when they're when they're losing, uh, you know, they're blowing a 3-1 series lead to the Capitals or when they're losing, uh, you know, in five games to the Capitals in the first round and they were just blue collar, they were just relied on Lundqvist. Now they're at a point where they still have that mentality, I guess I would say, on the defensive side, but on the scoring side, they now have enough scoring depth where you can trust any line out there, even the fourth line, to provide enough of a forecheck, enough of um, consistent offense that you know any of these four lines now can put the puck in the net. So I guess uh, I'd have to say hats off to Glenn Sather, and I, and I don't really say that that much. Well, I, I agree with you that a lot of – I'm willing to – Say there's two Glenn Sathers. There's the pre-2004-2005 Glenn Sather. Then there's the post-2004-2005 Glenn Sather with the salary captain. Uh, he's made a couple bonehead moves or moves that looked good at the time. I mean, I just really can't blame him. I mean, I was all about signing Scott Gomez and Chris Jury. I mean, who knew that they wouldn't pan out? I mean, I was all about it. I never really once thought Chris Jury was ever really bad. I don't think people really understood what he was. You know, but he's, he's, he's always been... Even before uh, the the, uh, the lockout, a uh, great uh, general manager when it comes to trades, and he's put together. And look, what he does is he trusts the people around him. Uh, you know, the assistant GMs, the coach, and he finds out what they want, what they need, and he brings them in, and he's good with the salary cap. So uh, he's brought in a good mix of players. He's brought in some part those players, Eric Dorsett and uh, the Dan Carcillos who we didn't see tonight, and he's brought in some you know finesse players, the Rick Nashes and. Uh, whatever whatever you want to call Brad Richards, maybe he's not so much finesse, but just an offensive player. Obviously, in the later stages of his career, but as you saw tonight, still productive. So, and I like and you bring up a good point about the lines. I mean, the Rangers' leading scorer this year had 59 points, which is amazing that they've been in the playoffs based on that. But they had I think seven or eight guys, 14 goals or more, which is the most in the league. And uh, the offense is pretty spread out. So. Even though you have a guy like Rick Nash, who's consistently scored over 30 goals his entire career, 40 goals twice, you know he doesn't need to be that guy. He can so he can score 30 goals, and, and and that's enough as long as the rest of the lines are productive. And talked last time about Mark Saint Louis and Stepan and, and Nash being on the same line, and I didn't like it at the time, and I, I'm still not so sure how I feel about it. But when you have a line like Richards and Fast and, and Hagman that's producing. And somehow align at Brassard with uh, Pouliot and uh, Zuccarello producing at the level they're, they're at. You know, you can afford to put a couple of your best players together as long as all the lines are producing. And as of right now, they are. Uh, that's definitely a good thing, especially in the playoffs for goals coming to premium. Well, you brought me to a moment. Next point is going to be in that. It was when we talked last time about the first slide and Nash and St. Louis being paired together for what is now the second time since St. Louis has been traded. And I thought all along, really, that they should have been paired together. You put the best playmaker with the best goal scorer, and, you know, you argued or, or rebutted that you don't want to, you know, create unfair balance on the other lines. But with the depth, they now are able to do that. We saw it tonight, the the chances they can produce together. Not only even strength, they didn't score, but on the power play, they scored those two goals. And those are really a large part of Brad Richards. And I think, you know, at some point tonight, uh, maybe not during the game, but maybe now sometime after Brad Richards has to think back to getting healthy scratches in the, the playoffs last year and have a good hard laugh about John Tortorella and the state that he's in. Yeah, Richards has been good. I mean, he, he was pretty good all season. You know, 20 goal season, 30 assists. I mean, that's, that's what he is at this point of his career. He's a 50 point guy. You know, what's more amazing to me than Richards or, or, or 
or uh, you know Stefan who had a good year, uh, or Rick Nash, or Martin St. Louis. Is that that line? And I don't even know what line you want to call the second line, the third line. You know, maybe even call them the first line sometimes. But that line of Derek Broussard, Matt Cipriello, and Benoit Pouliot. I mean, they they've been pretty consistent for a good portion of the year, and and they they create opportunities. Considering that I think they're all B slash C level players, but when you put them together, they they find ways to create opportunity and. You know, that, that paid off, that pays the dividends tonight in the first goal. With that line, with the Zuccarello line, you see him hardworking. He gets that first goal to get the Rangers uh, to tie it up to get back in the game. And when you when you look at the offensive chances they had tonight, I mean, they outshot the Flyers, I think it was 36-15. to 15, And for a lot of the game before that four-minute double minor, it just felt like a typical Rangers game where they'd, you know, have crazy amount of scoring chances, a, a lot of high-quality scoring chances um, from within the slot and, you, you know, right within the hash marks there. And they just couldn't put the puck puck in the net. They finally do because of the four minute power play. But uh, did you ever get that sense tonight that you know this was a type of you know one one game where they wouldn't capitalize on the chances and go to overtime and be anyone's game? I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. I did say at one point this side of the field a two one loss when they outshoot the other opponent thirty nine to fifteen. You know, and I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to go back and watch the tape. Uh, I didn't see a ton of replays because of where I was. But I don't. You know, they had some. I mean, I, I know Broussard hit the post and. I don't remember, I can't recall them having a ton of really good opportunities. They were settling on a lot of outside shots and long distance shots. You know, but they did control the play, so they had to puck most of the time. But Philadelphia was doing a good job of, of clearing things in front of the net, so the Rangers weren't getting any breakaways, two on ones, on ten rushes. Um, you know, so there were, I wouldn't say they had a ton of great chances. But when they did have good chances, they buried them, and that was on the power play. Well, it's kind of funny that Jason Atkinson ends up being the guy who who changes or swings this game, possibly even the series, you know, because of what happened in this game and taking a one nothing lead uh, going into Easter Sunday for Game 2. But he's playing in just his third career NHL game. He ends up taking the double minor that changes the entire game. And I've always thought it's a, a weird rule in the NHL because of, you know, if you high-stick a guy, it's two minutes. But if you high-stick him and he bleeds, even the slightest bit, it's a four minute penalty where you know you could break a guy's cheekbone his jaw his orbital socket knock out some teeth and he might not bleed but if he gets a little scrape he ends up bleeding and uh you know i've always been against that rule but as of tonight you know you have to be for it when it comes to the rangers and scoring two goals on the power play yeah it's just kind of that was just kind of like an unwritten rule a couple of years ago that you, know, you draw the extra two minutes for for plus so um you know i'm, I'm surprised some of these players don't carry a little blades in their gloves to try and uh <laughs> Draw some blood, like uh, some of the old WWE wrestlers, Dusty Rhodes. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the Rangers, the key to the playoffs, you know, any coach will tell you, and I don't want to sound generic or kind of repetitious, but, you know, aside from board checking and, and the little things, you know, special teams and goaltending have to be uh, vital, and they're a vital part of, uh, of success in the playoffs. You know, and we all know what Henrik Lundqvist can do. He's had a lot of great moments, and uh, he's kept the Rangers in a ton of games, basically on his own. You know, but the Rangers' five-on-five uh, five scoring has been, been iffy, and the Rangers' power play the last couple of years has been a disaster. And finished 15th in the league, which is better. I mean, it was a lot better earlier in the year, but let's just remember we all know that based on the personnel on the ice that the power play is better and how they're playing. And uh, it was a, a there was no reason they won. They, they won the game because they were able to capitalize on the power play. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's very cliche, but it, it's a fact. And, you know, that if the Rangers are going to win this series, the Flyers are a very undisciplined team. 
your coach, Craig Berube, was a nut on the ice. He kind of was a undisciplined <laughs> player. You know, so it's not surprising to me that the Flyers get penalized quite a bit. And if the Rangers are going to win this series, you know, at the end of this series, the Rangers are the team that's winning. We're going to be saying the Rangers won the series because they were able to capitalize on the power play. They did that in game one. And uh, that, that's pretty much the reason why they win. Now, they, they didn't need one because to be great. And I'll guarantee you at some point in the series, he's going to have to be great because the Flyers are going to play desperate at some point. And, uh, you know, you need both those parts of the game to be good. And tonight, they were. Well, going into the series, one of the biggest things was that, you know, because of the the Flyers' physicality, because they play a, a different style of hockey than the Rangers, they were, I thought, at some point going to try to control the pace, control the tempo, make it a physical game, and make the to try to draw the Rangers into their own game and, uh, you know, bang bodies and make the Rangers, you know, sort of sort of get in their own heads. And they sort of did that tonight, or at least they tried to do that, um, and the Rangers didn't do, you know, didn't succumb to that pressure at all. The, the only Rangers pow, uh, penalty taken was the roughing call Zuccarello, but it was, you know, negated with the high sticking from Shen, so it was four on four. But aside from that, you know, the Flyers had a penalty in the first period for interference. Uh, they had, you know, four penalties in the third period, one of them being the double minor, and three penalties with eight minutes left. And, uh, you know, once the game got out of hand, the Flyers, you know, did what they do best and started to get dirty, especially in the final uh, three to five minutes there. But I think the Rangers did a good job avoiding playing into the Flyers' hand there. And I think if that'll be the key as much as anything, you know, you talked about special teams, you talked about power play, how that'll win playoff games and determine series. But I think right now for the Rangers, if they can take the same game plan they brought into in game one, into game two, not retaliate, not take stupid penalties the way the Flyers did, they'll be all set. Yeah, and the Rangers have some uh, some depth in that department. I mean, people call them a small team. They are. They are a big physical team. You know, they do have two tough guys in Dorset and Barcelo. Uh, and if they think that the Flyers are going to come out and be a little more physical, they can insert Barcelo in the lineup. You know, maybe swap them out for Jeff Fast. You know, maybe maybe swap them out for the, uh, the, the legendary Brian Boyle for a game. Um, you know, so the Rangers have some options there if they think Philly's going to come out and be a little more physical. But, you know, the Rangers got to play play smart and not get sucked into some of the Flyers' antics. And they're, they're a disciplined team, the Rangers. So, you know, as long as they, they kind of do what they have to do. And the Rangers are going to take some penalties. Fortunately, their penalty kill was third best in the league, and they scored a, a crazy amount of short handed goal plays this season. So, to me, and as long as you have Lundqvist in there, you know, it's not, you're not going to get killed by taking one or two penalties a game. Not a, not a deal, but it's not a complete disaster. Um, you know, so the Rangers get physical if they have to, and that's uh, just part of it. And look, I expect the Flyers to come out in game two, you know, annoyed, ticked off that they lost the game, and they lost the game in, you know, the fashion they did, you know, having 15 shots and giving up 35 or 36 shots, and the two power play goals late, you know, the backup goals in there, you know, what's going to happen, it's going to be Mason or Emery. So I expect the players to come out on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, and play a better game and be a lot more physical. And the Rangers are going to be prepared for that. Well, when you mentioned Lundqvist and the fact that you know he didn't have to be great tonight, uh, he just had to make you know fifteen saves or, or actually fourteen saves on fifteen shots, and it, it sort of you know brings to the point that you know almost in like a baseball series, if you're able to you know get by with your ace sucking, at some point you have to feel like he, he's going to put it together and be great. And I think you know the Rangers did catch a break with that tonight. Not that Lundqvist wasn't great. I mean, he only saw the fifteen shots, saved fourteen of them, got a bad bounce on a deflection, got lucky once with a post. 
But, um, you know, he's going to be as much of a key to them going on and winning the series, winning three more games in the next six as anything. And for him to sort of, you know, not have to overextend himself, not have to uh, give a max effort performance in game one when that's all he's had to do in the playoffs in the past with the Rangers, it's almost like he got a rest tonight. Yeah, and that, you know, he had a rest for a full week before that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's good for, for, for the Rangers to not, you know, rely on Lundqvist having to make 40, 44 saves and give up either one or no goal. The Rangers play a solid game where they're going to give up their opportunities, but Lundqvist is going to have to make some saves, but the Rangers are also going to create some opportunity. Uh, you know, and it's, hey, look, Al was a Tortorella guy. I think his system is a winning system, but he needs the right players, and I'm not sure he ever did uh, here in New York. I mean, they got to the conference finals. You know, but I'm not sure he had the, 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 all the players that would be uh, uh, mandatory for him to be successful. But they play a different style of game, more relaxed. You know, it's interesting. And I was kind of thinking about this today and a little bit, you know, during the game. And maybe it's just the way Tortorella was and maybe how he had the team so, like, high-strung. But, like, that almost, that, like, nervous tension that he created was also, you know, it showed itself on the ice. It showed itself in the media. Like, you, you would come into the series, and even though the Rangers safe to say, or a better team than the Flyers, it was just nerve-wracking. You assumed it was going to go seven games. You assumed they were going to be one nothing or 2 to one games. With this, the way they are now, and it's probably on the coach, because Vigneault's a, kind of a laid-back guy. He kind of has the team laid-back and relaxed and comfortable, yet, you know, ready to go. You know, I don't feel that, that nervous tension, uh, you know, that, that nervous buzz that you felt uh, in the last couple of years. Maybe it's some kind of pressure or whatever. But I think the Rangers are, are a confident, comfortable team. And if they go out and do the things they did most of the season, especially in the second half of the season, they're certainly poised to make a, a good run here in the playoffs. I think that's an interesting point you bring up about the nervous tension with Tortorella in that, you know, I think it has over poured into this season, or actually poured over into this season because. You know, when they go down one nothing, I still have that feeling like Rangers hockey. It's a one nothing. You know, deficit feels like it's five nothing, and they're not going to overcome it. And that happened again tonight when the range when the Flyers score just seven minutes into the game. It's all of a sudden like, oh, we're going to lose game one because we're not going to be able to score a goal. Lundqvist is going to give up a goal. We're going to lose one nothing. And you know, I would say that most other teams and their fans in the NHL don't have that feeling. I'm sure you know some of the better teams, the elite teams like the Bruins and the Penguins and the Blackhawks, when they go down one nothing, even two nothing, they still think they're in a game, they still think they have a chance. For the Rangers it hasn't been like that for a while and it's almost like the Tortorella era had such an impact on that that, you know, you forget what it was like when Rennie was the coach and, and even the years before him, to the point now that even though Vigneault's been here for a full regular season and one playoff game, it still has that effect where if the Rangers get behind they might not come back. Yeah, and that's true, but I think as time goes and you know, the Rangers, look, the Rangers are going to go down one nothing again in the playoffs. Hey, it's, it's almost a guarantee. I'd be shocked if they didn't. You know, and they're going to have to be able to bounce back and, and come back and win another game. Um, and and um, based on how they play and, and their style and, and how they're, they're composed, you know, I, I, I think that's, I, you know, it's safe to say that they can do that. You know, they did it tonight. And, and look, even if they pull down 2 nothing, uh, there's been plenty of games this year they've gone down 2 nothing. And, and scored two goals. I mean, late in the season, even though they lost to Calgary, you know, they were down to nothing. They came out in the third and scored, what was it, two or three goals in like four minutes. I mean, this team has the ability to do that. Um, you know, and that's, that's, that's obviously a very good thing, uh, that they have the confidence and, and the mentality to do something like that. It's, it's easier as a fan to watch because you're not, you know, thinking the team's out of the game. 
it's easier for a player to know that, all right, we're down one nothing, we're down 2 nothing. but, you know, as long as we do what we're, you know, we're, we're taught to do and, and we do what we've been doing, you know, there's a good chance we create some opportunities, and if we cash in, we'll come back and win the game. Well, we did talk before the start of the series, or at least uh, not as early enough before the start of the series to get your prediction. I had the Rangers in five, uh, like I said earlier on, and uh, it might have been overly optimistic, but, you know, I'm obviously going to stick with it, and it feels pretty good after tonight's performance. What were you thinking heading into the series, and how do you feel after seeing one game? You know, I'm not sure I really made a prediction. I kind of joked around and said the Flyers and six to do one of those reverse jinxes. You know, but I guess realistically, Rangers in five, Raiders in six. And the Phillies' goal setting has always been shaky. I don't care if it's Steve Mason coming back for game two or game three or Ray Emery. I mean, Mason's good. He's not great. You know, he had a really good rookie year, and then he's kind of struggled since then, kind of found his game this year. Uh, and uh, Emery, he didn't he didn't play awful tonight. I'm not sure how many of those goals he had a you know legit chance at. You know, he went 17 and one last year. I know he was in the Blackhawks, but that's <laughs> anybody that goes 17 and one doesn't suck. You know, <laughs> but, but I think the Rangers have an obvious advantage in goaltending. And look, history in Philadelphia has been goaltending an issue. And I think it's going to be an issue again. I think the Rangers are going to create enough chances to expose the Flyers and their goaltending uh, in comparison to the Rangers' goaltending. And I think that's going to be a key reason why the Rangers do win this series. You know, four, you know five, maybe, maybe they'll sweep them. I mean, look, I'm, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the Flyers got a game at home. But Rangers in five, Rangers in six, you know, seems about right. All right, Mazo, well... Thanks for joining me uh, after your trip to MSG for a, for a nice Rangers win to start the playoffs and start this series off on the right foot. And uh, we'll have to do this again after Game 2 on Easter Sunday, and uh, hopefully you have a, a safe trip home, and maybe you, uh, if you haven't polished off that keg from your WrestleMania party, maybe you can do that when you get home. When are we talking Derby? <laughs> we we have some time. I mean, not that much time, but it, it's fat, it's quickly approaching. I'm uh I'm hoping that you know you're getting your your predictions ready for me so that I think this is our third year doing it. You know, hopefully you'll give me a winner this time. By, by the way, in the Oakland handicap, uh, in his return, <laughs> Revolutionary ran second um, last weekend at five to one. He hadn't run since the Belmont Stakes last year, so that was a uh, another solid pick out of me. <laughs> this year, my top horse was Constitution. Same trainer, but uh, two days ago he got injured. He's going to be out the whole Triple Crown series, so I have nothing for you at this point. I did see you tweet that. I I could feel your your devastating emotions over. Yeah, Twitter. I was bothered by that. I had him in the Florida Derby. Uh, wagered fairly high on him because I was intoxicated, you know. But but he won, so it worked out. But it was you know he's a, he was a good horse, good trainer, top Fletcher. I know we're getting a little off subject here, but uh, we'll talk about this more as the Kentucky Derby approaches us in a few weeks. All right, Mods, we'll talk after game two. You got it.